2: I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice Column for The Atlantic.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice Column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists.
2: Each week, we invite you into a session so you can learn more about yourself by hearing how we help other people come to understand themselves better and make changes in their lives.
3: So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, A woman feels the burden of being caught in the middle when her parents divorce after almost 40 years.
4: She was basically saying, I can't be with him anymore. I don't even like him anymore. I don't think I'm in love with him. I don't even want to have sex with him anymore. Way too much information. Yeah. Yeah.
2: First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical or psychological condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our fellow travelers.
3: Hey, Laurie. Hi, Guy. So we have an interesting letter today because, you know, divorce is tough on kids, but in this case, the kid's an adult and it's still tough. So here it is. Dear therapists, I'm an adult and my parents are separating after 39 years of marriage. I'm the youngest child and an excellent sympathetic ear. I listen to my mom's problems about my dad, my mom's problems about my sister, who is definitely not on board, my sister's issues about not being on board, my dad's problems about my mom, and my dad trying to tell me my mom needs more support. I don't know how to deal with all of my own emotions related to my parents divorcing as an adult, much less everyone else's feelings about it. I need help. Sincerely, Nicole.
2: That is a really tough one because I think that a lot of people think that when you're an adult and your parents divorce, that somehow the divorce is going to be relatively easy. In fact, I think that's the reason that so many parents wait until their children are out of the house to split up. But in fact, when you're older, there are certain problems that you have that might not show up if your parents divorced when you were younger, such as what she's experiencing, which is being thrust into the role of mediator, armchair therapist to the parents, being pulled in all different directions, and also probably learning more about the details of the divorce that she would have been shielded from if she were younger.
3: So there are plenty of people who get divorced and are aware that they should shield the kids when the kids are young. And when their kids are adults, there's just a little less imperative on their end to like shield them. And they actually go, oh, great, they're adults. So I can really lean on them now for my rebuilding, for support. And it puts such a burden on those adult children. So I totally understand the trap she's in.
2: Yeah, I do too. So let's go find out what's going on with her.
3: You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does
0: more info now. I'm Lori Gottlieb.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapist. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the show.
4: Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Hi, Nicole. Hi.
3: So, Nicole, we'd love to hear a little bit more about what's happening right now with your parents and in what way they're putting you in the middle.
4: I definitely don't think it's exclusive to my parents. It's kind of always been my role in life, has been the listener. So it's my parents, my mom, my dad, and then my sister. I do have a brother as well, but he is just not that involved with our family life. He's kind of often doing his own thing. But everybody always comes to me when they have a problem with somebody else in the family. And then I kind of carry the burden of everybody's and try to give advice where possible. And at this point, though, it's kind of like everybody's coming to me and then everybody's problem is with the other person, which is a little more difficult.
2: How did that play out when you were younger with everybody coming to you? What kinds of things would they come to you with when you were a child?
4: Generally, it's always been family stuff. Like my mom's mad at my sister and then I would play the mediator or my mom is mad at my dad. And I would try to mediate or help.
3: How young were you when this kind of thing started?
4: I would say young teenager. Mm. Like my sister and my mom always had more conflict. I avoid conflict at all costs. (laughs) So my mom and my sister had conflict. So there's definitely some there. But it's definitely progressed as I've become more of an adult. I had my own child pretty young. And once I did that, it was like, okay, you're an adult now and we're going to give you all these problems. I was only like 22.
2: I imagine that as any new parent, you probably needed help yourself. Who did you go to for advice or for help?
4: Primarily my mom, just because my sister had her child like a couple of years after me. So it was primarily my mom. And I have one living grandparent who's not involved in my life, and then one passed away grandparent. So there was really not a lot of other female figures, we'll say, that were available.
2: Can you paint the picture for us of the different relationships in your family when you were growing up?
4: So my mom and I have always been really tight. And I haven't been as close to my dad up until recently with this divorce stuff. I've gotten closer now. My sister and my dad were tight. I wasn't close to my sister until after she moved to college. We fought really, like, really bad. And what's <laughs> the age difference? We're five years apart. Mm. So mm-hmm. separate lives, anyways, up until we became a little more, like, adult. And my brother and I were close when we were younger, but we're not close now. And I wouldn't say he's particularly close with either of my parents.
2: And what's the age difference with your brother?
4: Just a year and a half. He's older.
2: Yes. So the people who would come to you for advice were your mom when she would get into conflict with your sister, your sister when
4: she would get into conflict with your mom. And my dad when he would be in conflict with my mom. Even
3: though you weren't close, he would come to you when you were younger?
4: Yes, because he recognized that the key to finding what was going to help him fix whatever was wrong with my mom was often through me because I knew her and our personalities are similar. So he felt like I could help him find the answer.
3: So really it was full on family therapy for you at a very young age and you weren't getting paid for it and you're actually a member of the family so that was awkward all around.
4: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's kind of always been my role. Do you
2: have a sense of why your dad came to you instead of your mom? since you said you and your mom are similar. So what's your sense of why he didn't just go straight to your mom to try to work it
4: out? Because when my mom is mad at you, she will not listen to reason. She will not talk it out. She will just be mad at you and she will hold on to it for the next forever. (laughs) And so he didn't feel like he had a space to talk to her and say, what will happen to make this better? Or like, what can I do to fix this?
3: But you could, I mean, are you the mum whisperer in the family too? In other words, were you able to get through to her?
4: Sometimes I could, or sometimes I could suggest, I mean, I would say I'm way better at it than anybody else. It's not been as easy for me because it's coming from so many angles. But a lot of times I am the one that can be like, okay, you should, you know, start by apologizing. Then maybe you want to like, buy her a little present or maybe you want to say this is what's wrong here and this is how I feel about it and it doesn't have anything to do with how you feel about it you know like to lay out what plan needs to happen I guess because sometimes she can be really irrational
2: what happens when she's mad at you it's not good (laughs) because there's no one to mediate that
4: right my dad will try sometimes and often his attempt is something like Can I give an example like of a story? Can I tell you a story?
3: Absolutely.
4: Okay. So my son loves hockey and he wants to be a goalie, which is every parent's worst nightmare. (laughs) 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 How old's your son? He just turned six. So he's loved this for many years. I mean, he's just absolutely bonkers for hockey. And we had said we didn't want to buy him any goalie gear because we didn't want to encourage the goalie part of it. It's so expensive and it's dangerous. So we, my mom helped a cousin of ours buy him some goalie pads, which really upset me because she knew that we didn't want that in the house. We didn't want to encourage that aspect. We were fine with him wanting to play hockey, but encouraging the goalie thing was like past what we wanted to do. So he got the pads and I was upset. And my dad called me and he's like, I know you're upset about this. But please just don't bring it up. Please just don't say anything. Say the bare minimum that you need to say to make yourself feel better and then quit.
2: Is he worried that if you say something, he has to live with your
4: mom and she's going to take it out on him? Yes. Yes.
3: So so what happened there? You did end up saying something?
4: I did because that was a, a line that we had drawn prior as parents, you know,
3: I'd love to hear what exactly you said to her and what her reaction was. I want to hear how that conversation went.
4: She was with the guy shopping and they did it together. You know, even though he paid for him, she was definitely there and could have stopped him and knew how we felt about it. I said, this is an issue for us. We don't want these in our house. And I don't want people shooting pucks at my kid's head. I just said, you know, you cross this line and you don't listen to what I say. And what's important to me is that you didn't listen and I'm upset about it. And she was incredibly upset and would, didn't talk to me for several days. What does her
2: upsetness look like? How did she actually respond in the moment to you?
4: Usually when she's upset is she will say something like, I just can't talk about this anymore. And she'll you can tell like she's crying on the phone or is mad or angry. You know, there's kind of a tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And then she'll just hang up on you and she won't talk to you anymore.
2: So you told her how you felt and she said, I don't want to talk about it? Yep did she try to defend herself? This is why I did it, that kind of thing?
4: She kind of tried to play it off like he did it on his own, the cousin that uh-huh. actually purchased him. But I know she was there with him. She didn't say, well, I tried to stop him or anything. She just did it. And then when she was there, when he presented the pads as well, so she knew what was coming and did not warn me. There's many factors that were upsetting.
3: So, Nicole, you said that you really avoided confrontation at all costs. And clearly, though, here for the well-being of your son and his face and teeth, you were actually willing to have the confrontation. It sounds like you expressed that as assertively, simply and clearly as one can. So you actually did a very good job in doing that. My, My question to you is that now you have a clear idea of that you don't like being put in the middle. But when you're doing that as a child, as an adolescent, there are a lot of rewards in it, in that, A, you get to know what's going on. It's a very powerful position to be in. At what point did you start to realize, you know, this is not as fun as it seemed at at first? At what point did you realize, wait, what happens to my own feelings about these
4: things? About four to five years ago, my brother was getting married in Ireland. And my parents were going and they were having like a huge issue. They were fighting with each other. They couldn't get along for five seconds. I mean, it was awful. And they were coming to me and I was trying to do it. You mean you're ruining my vacation? I'm there with my husband trying to enjoy Ireland and trying to enjoy my brother's wedding and trying to keep my brother and his soon-to-be wife out of it so that their wedding is not ruined by the drama. (laughs) That was really when I realized that it was, like, maybe more than I can handle. I mean, my mom was even sharing, like, like, sex details and things, and that was past what I needed.
2: How did sex details come up, and what was she trying to tell you?
4: She was basically saying, I can't be with him anymore. I don't even like him anymore. I don't think I'm in love with him. I don't even want to have sex with him anymore. Way
2: too much information. Yeah. 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 And what were you doing when she was talking about all this? Did you say to her, hey, mom, I think this is something you need to figure out with dad. How did you respond to her?
4: I just tried to solve the immediate problem. It was the night before my brother's wedding. So it was just like trying to hear her out, trying to get her calm enough so that tomorrow we could do the wedding and it not be a total disaster.
2: Was this the first that you had heard of talk of separation the night before your brother's wedding?
4: That trip, it was definitely the first time I'd ever heard of them like even having issues. I don't personally really remember them fighting when I was like a kid or anything. They did separate one time when I was really, really young, maybe like two or three years old. And I vaguely remember that, but my dad came back and I don't remember them fighting or anything after that.
2: But your dad did come to you with with issues. So you knew that they did fight. They just fought through you. Is that what you mean when you say you don't remember them fighting directly?
4: Yeah, like I don't remember them yelling at each other. Like when you see the, the thing of the divorced parent and they're like, Oh, they're yelling and everybody's yelling and there's chaos everywhere. I don't remember that at all. It was more like they'd have an issue, they'd come to me, I'd try to solve the issue, then they'd go back and then it would be fine again.
3: So you're saying that it was in Ireland over the week of your brother's wedding that mm-hmm. you started to realize this is a bit much for me. Yeah. But I'm curious about at what point, if you have yet, did you look back on all these years of mediating and realize? wow, it might've been a little hard for me to figure out how I feel about things when I'm so busy trying to fix other people's problems before I can even get my finger on my own pulse.
4: I don't know that I have until recently. There were other things going on with me that I was silently suffering with, like anxiety and some depression and stuff that I just took on other people's problems because I could maybe fix them and that would make me feel better.
2: And you wouldn't have to think about your own.
4: Right. You know, and so it was not really a problem because it solved my problems.
3: <laughs> it was a distraction from your problems in a way. How, how bad were the depression and the anxiety?
4: There were points in my life, especially when I first had my daughter, when it was pretty bad. So my daughter suffers from anxiety and she wasn't diagnosed until probably it's been... Probably eight or nine months now. But I didn't realize that that was me, Mm. that that was my problem until I listened to the doctor tell her in a kid way what anxiety was. And I was like, that's me. Mm. And then I went to my own doctor and got some medication, and it's helped a lot.
2: What is the communication like between you and your husband?
4: He does not understand. We grew up very differently. His family does not talk about anything. Like, if they have a problem with each other, they don't say it at all. They just continue on like nothing happened. <laughs> well, I
2: want to say, Nicole, so did yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> So when
2: you say it's very different, a, a lot of times we marry people who maybe on the surface, they seem a little bit different, but but right. there's some underlying familiarity. And I think that you both grew up in families where things were not talked about directly.
4: Uh, yeah. That does make sense because like it came through me, but it never probably was actually spoken about to each other.
2: Right. So tell us how he is when it comes to communication with you. Since you say you avoid conflict, I don't know what he does. Tell us about that interaction.
4: In terms of our marriage, it can sometimes be a struggle because I feel like I want to talk about things with him and bring whatever is the issue but I'm kind of a yeller, <laughs> and he will try to avoid talking about things until it makes him so mad that he like yells so oftentimes it's just a screaming match of no communication.
2: It sounds a lot like you are in the role of your dad, which is he wanted to talk about things at least to resolve things. Maybe he wasn't a huge talker, but he certainly wanted to resolve something by talking about it, and your mom. You said, will say things like, I don't want to talk about it. And it sounds a little bit like what your husband does. And it goes to the place of yelling because people yell when they feel like they're not being heard in a normal voice. So if they can't be heard by having a calm conversation, often what people do is they yell, like, now you have to pay attention, except people can't hear you when you're yelling. That's the problem. So the louder you get, the less audible you become to people because people don't respond to yelling and they start to tune you out.
4: Right. I hear that for sure. And I think that that's definitely what happens because he does often say, well, I'm just going to go in the other room and I don't want to fight with you anymore is a common refrain.
3: So that's about the fighting. But what about the support? In other words, you're distressed about the situation with your family. Is he someone you can talk to about that? Does he offer support to you about that?
4: He will. Sometimes he'll be like, oh, I can't believe your mom or I can't believe your dad. But a lot of the times he's like, I just don't understand.
3: But do you tell him, here's what happened? Or do you say to him, here's what happened and here's how I feel?
4: I think it's a combination of both. I definitely say, like, this is what happened and try to let sometimes inform his own opinion. And then sometimes I'm like, no, this is making me upset or I can't believe mom's doing this. She's acting so crazy, which would obviously be like my opinion.
2: I think what Guy is saying is that there's a difference between reporting the events and talking about what's going on with you. So if you're reporting the events, you're talking about them. But if you're telling your husband, this is making me so stressed out. This is making me so anxious. This is feeling overwhelming to me. Do you ever say anything like that to him? So it becomes about you and your experience, not about the specific incident that happened with your parents.
4: Yeah, not very often, to be honest. Every once in a while, if I'm super stressed or like, especially during all this divorce stuff, the couple times I was like, I just don't know how I can handle all this. I'm stressed out. And at that time too, I just started a new job probably like six weeks ago. And then my daughter had COVID four weeks mm. before that. So it was really all at once. And there was a couple times where I just said, I don't know if I can handle all this. How did he respond when you told him, I don't know if I can handle this? He would say something like, go take a bath. Like, that's kind of my thing is to take a bath. Or he would say, go upstairs because our bedroom is upstairs. So just like go upstairs and be alone is the intent. Or go lay down if you need. But I just don't say it very often, I guess.
3: I think, Nicole, that you're replicating this dynamic from childhood where this conflict around you served as a distraction so that you didn't have to deal with whatever distress or pain you were having. And this is a little bit the way you communicate with your husband today. You tell him about the conflict around you, and you emphasize very little the emotional impact and how you feel or the distress it might raise in you. Now, when you do, he seems to respond and say, hey, go do the things you find soothing and comforting. But you tend to default to the narrative of here's what happened. Isn't it shocking? Isn't it upsetting? And that doesn't really uh, put you in touch or him in touch with the emotional impact on you.
4: Yeah.
2: When he tells you, go take a bath or go upstairs and rest, does that make you feel better or do you feel more alone? I'm wondering what you're wanting in those moments because it sounds like what he's saying is, I hear that you're upset and then kind of go deal with it as opposed to, how can I help? How can I be there for you? What can I do
4: to help you through this? Can I say that it's like 50-50? Sometimes I feel like I'm definitely alone in it and that like I'm the only one who has to deal with all this, Yeah, you know? And sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'm so stressed out that I do need a break from my family and my husband and I need time to just digest everything alone, you know?
2: It does. Even if you need that time, though, you mentioned feeling alone in this. I imagine that at some point you'd want some connection that even if in that moment you need to digest it or go take a bath or calm down a little bit in a way that feels good to you. I imagine that's not enough.
4: I would agree. I think that's part of the reason why I wrote the letter initially, too, is because I don't know how to deal with all the stuff that's coming at me. I feel like now as an adult, I'm learning things about myself, you know, and then I don't know how to sort out my own feelings to separate them from everybody else's. Like, prior to this, I would definitely be like the kind of person who is like, mom's mad at my sister. So I'm going to be like, mom's going to come to me and say, well, I can't believe she did this and that. And I'd be like, yeah, that's crazy. You know, maybe you should say X, Y, Z. And then my sister would come to me and she'd be like, well, during that same fight, mom did X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, yeah, that's crazy. You know, like agreeing (laughs) with all sides.
3: I think you're really craving some support, some connections, some understanding. When you play that role in the family, there's always a fantasy that maybe someone can do that for me, too. Maybe someone can be my therapist. Maybe somebody could be my support. And I'm saying that Mm -hmm. the, the habit you've gotten into Is that the shiny object of the conflict or the other person's needs distracts you, takes your eye off the ball of your feelings. And so you don't lead with your feelings. You're saying now you're getting more in touch with them yourself. Good. It's a necessary step. But the second, equally important one, is to be able to communicate that to a person who can hear it and who can make you feel heard. And Perhaps your husband can do some of that. It doesn't sound like he's the best at it. He might be able to learn. I'm curious if there's anyone else in your life with whom you can actually just talk about how you feel without having to surround it by the conflicts of others. Is there someone like that in your life?
4: I do have one really good female friend who I feel like I can tell everything to in our lives. My husband and her husband went to kindergarten together and have been friends since. But We always say we feel like we would have been friends on our own without having met through them. And I definitely feel like I can tell her almost everything unfiltered, even with my husband and I's relationship. Sometimes I need somebody to talk to about that. And she's definitely there for me whenever I need. How does she
2: respond to you that's different from the way that your own family members respond to you?
4: She'll say like, like, yeah, I totally get it. I totally understand. Or she'll come back with an example from her own family. Whenever I have the opportunity to spend time with her, and it's just like her and I, I always feel better leaving.
2: (laughs) I think what you're saying is that you feel seen and you feel understood. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Heard, seen, understood, all of that, right? Heard, for sure. And heard is a big one. Yeah, heard is a big one. Yeah.
3: And emotionally validated, which is a very important term here. Emotional validation means that the person makes you feel that they really get how you're feeling. They really understand the emotional component. And that emotional validation, I think, is, is so sweet for you because you get so little of it. So I imagine that's a very important relationship in that way.
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: You said that your parents are in the middle of a separation. So how long has this been going on?
4: Like three months. It's been about three months.
2: Before this, your father would come to you sometimes with conflict with your mom. Would your mom come to you before this with conflict that she was having with your dad or only since the separation?
4: I would say since we went back to that trip in Ireland, that's really when she felt comfortable enough to talk to me about my dad, which I found really hard because even though I wasn't as close with my dad, he's still my dad. You know, and I still love him and I still have feelings about him and I don't want to look upon him a certain way because that's how she feels.
3: But that what you said would have been the perfect thing to say when she comes to you. You know, Ma, I, I want to still be able to have a relationship with him. But actually, it leads me to a question. Since you do get some satisfaction from being in that mediative therapist role, is that something you're interested in giving up in the family? Yeah, quitting the therapy job?
4: I think that my own family now, so I have an 11-year-old. She's got ADHD and she's got anxiety and she's got other things going on. And then I have my husband and my own relationship with him that sometimes I feel like struggles. I would like to be able to focus on us and our little unit versus focusing on the wider unit of my immediate family.
3: Okay. Because, you know, when therapists want to resign, they have to find substitute therapists to transfer their clientele to. And if you do resign from your role, you might need to do some referring.
4: I've tried to refer.
3: (laughs) You are such a good therapist.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I have been laying on my parents to go to marriage counseling for since the whole Ireland thing. I was like, you guys need to go to counseling. You need to go to counseling. You need to go to counseling, go to a therapist. What do they say?
3: They said we have a therapist. Why would we?
4: A lot of times they would be like, oh yeah, we're going to, and then never make the appointment. Then I kind of pushed my dad and I was like, "Kate, obviously mom's not going to make the appointment. You need to make it. They finally did start, but they went to five sessions and then they're done now.
2: What does that mean they're done since they confide in you? Which one of them wanted to stop or did they both and why?
4: Apparently, the therapist was like, how do you guys feel? And my dad and mom agreed that they were fine with quitting. They keep saying that they have this amicable divorce or whatever, but I know there are still issues in it and they haven't solved them. They didn't like
2: the fact that the therapist asked them to kind of go inside and figure out how they feel. Is that, is that what happened?
4: I think they just felt like they solved all their problems in their Mm. five sessions.
2: So if they solved all their problems, why are they coming to you with problems? I don't know. I mean, have you ever asked them that question? If you solved all your problems in counseling, then why are you coming to me with these problems?
4: I think they are still looking for the agreement that the other person is wrong. That's coming from me.
2: Right. And that will not come from the therapist. And that is why that did not work out for them.
4: Right. If yeah. if
3: you did quit
4: as a therapist
3: for your family, who might be upset with you most if you did that?
4: Uh, I think it would be my mom by far. By far. Yeah, she is the most upset person in the household or the family. I think that
2: they come to you for two reasons, Nicole. I think the first reason is that they are so invested in their respective positions and you are so invested in avoiding conflict and people pleasing that they know that whatever they say, you will agree with them. You will say, you're right. You're right. That other person was completely off base. You are right. And and that feels really good in the moment. But it doesn't help people to reflect on their role in what happened. It doesn't help them to perspective take, which is really important for any kind of communication. What might the other person have been thinking or feeling? And so, in that way, you're not actually helping them. And then you do offer them something concrete like, hey, here's how you can approach the other person. But you see, it doesn't get very far because they keep coming back to you. The one part of the puzzle that I don't Understand as well is your sister. You said in your letter, your sister isn't quite on board with this. I don't know what you meant by that. And also how your sister comes to you. Has that been a thing your whole life too? Or is that related to the separation?
4: It's not necessarily related to the separation. I think it definitely um, started to occur once she needed more advice after she had her child, because I had already done it first. She does not think that they have tried hard enough, that they have put in the work that they have done everything they could ever possibly do before they walk the aisle to divorce.
2: What comes to mind when you talk about your sister's feelings about this is how invested she is in keeping your parents together. And and a lot of people don't talk about what it's like when you're an adult and your parents are getting divorced. People talk a lot about what it's like when there are kids in the house and the parents are getting divorced. And so she's not able to really articulate her feelings. She has a lot of grief and loss around this. She's really struggling with it. And I wonder about you. What are your feelings as an adult whose parents are getting divorced? How are you feeling about this change in your family?
4: I'd like to say that my steady line has always been what will make them happy will make me happy, but that's pretty much a lie. And I know that when I say it, when it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, I know I'm lying to whoever's asking me. Are talking to me about it. I feel similar to her in that I don't feel like they've put in the work or done the things that are required to get a divorce. It's not like one cheated on the other, and it's some egregious offense.
3: Talk about your feelings, not about them. You go to them so automatically. Just you, how you feel about it.
4: I'm upset about it. I think the reality is, is that I'm upset. Tell us what
2: upset means.
4: I feel a lot of anger to be honest, anger towards them. Like I said, for not having tried, they've been married for 39 years. And I don't know how to say like, get it together and work on this.
2: But you are having some feelings around this. So you keep going back to them, like Guy said. And so anger is kind of the go-to feeling for a lot of us. It's the most accessible one. It's right there in front of us, but underneath the anger is usually a more tender feeling like, hurt or sadness or loss
4: i think that there's definitely some sadness and loss it's hard to imagine how things will be like our family union i would like to say we're really close in general you know and so like we take vacations together in all of my years even as an adult this is the first christmas we haven't been together Mm. as a group Mm -hmm. you know I talk to my sister daily. I talk to my parents daily or every other day. And so I'm going to lose that. That's what it feels like. Like that's not the same. That's sad for me.
2: It is. Yeah. And and as adults, a lot of times people feel like I can't really talk about that or I shouldn't be feeling this because it's not like I'm 10 and I have to go between houses. You have your own family. You have your own life. And at the same time, you are losing your family as you knew it. You're losing all of the things that go along with your parents being together.
4: It's so hard to, I don't understand how to say that to people and then not have them look at me like I'm not, I'm not 10, you know, like I'm an adult. You should understand because you're old enough to understand why they're getting divorced.
3: Well, the understanding doesn't change how you feel about it because the irony is that for adults, when their parents get divorced, One of the things they often feel is like, wow, I'm kind of losing the security of the family unit, even if it was a conflictual one, even if it was one that they didn't turn to for security. But there's something about just knowing it's there, that knowing mom and dad are there. There's something about the security and the historicness of it that when you lose it, it can feel like it really shakes the foundations in some way. And again, adults feel like, well, it shouldn't do that. But of course it should, because adults have all the same feelings that children do about that unit getting disrupted.
4: I definitely think you're right about the security, too. And, like, there's something about our house that we live in. My grandma lived there. That was where we had Christmas every year. And now it's like... Is that my home anymore?
2: That sense of home is so important. A lot of adults say, you know, even if one parent stays in that home, it doesn't feel the same. It feels very different when it's only one parent living there or when that house is sold and neither parent is living there. You lose yeah. that piece of your childhood, that piece of your history, and that that sense of security of that's where we go for the holidays. That's where our gatherings are. That's where my room was.
4: Yeah. It's
3: a hugely significant loss in that way because you lose the traditions and the rituals that define the family unit and define your childhood and your early adulthood and your adolescence. So it's a big loss for adults. It's a big loss for you, you know, when that happens. And Laurie's completely right. Sometimes the house can be the same, but with only one of them in it, it can actually feel sad to be in that house rather than comforting.
4: Yeah, and I think it's definitely like I've been over there since my mom has moved out and it's different even talking about it is different. Like prior, I would say something like, oh, I'm going to my house or I'm going, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: It's a big change. Even the way you talk
3: about it changes. Yeah. I think that you're starting to see that when you're really thinking about how you feel, that you have a lot of feelings about them getting separated and divorced. And when you spend time with your feelings and give yourself a chance to figure them out, then it might actually take you to a point where you are even less willing to be that mediator because, no, no, actually, I have very strong feelings here. I want to focus on mine. I don't want to have to ignore mine to focus on theirs.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. And I think in the last couple of years, this is where it's really become, like, too much, you know, because I don't deal with what I'm dealing with. and
2: Yeah. It's almost like you're trying to talk your sister out of the very feelings that you have about your parents' divorce so that neither of you has to feel them.
4: My sister as a person is very upfront and very like, this is how I feel. And there's been some of that with my mom back because my mom initially left the house and got an apartment. And so there was definitely some initial tension there. Like she told her upfront how she felt.
2: When you say she told her up front how she felt, she might have said, I feel like you're not really giving this marriage a try. That's different from, I feel so sad that the family is coming apart in this way.
4: You're right. She said something similar to, I don't think you've tried everything you can try, and I think you're giving up. But that's not talking about how she feels. Yeah.
3: The other part of what happens when the children are adults, when their parents divorce, is the parents don't think it's that important to worry about the kids. Well, our kids are adults. We can just be concerned about us and get them to help us. We don't need to be concerned about their feelings. And it sounds like both your parents are not.
4: I agree. Like My mom, when she moved out, she said something to the effect of, I'll be fine. It'll be okay. I'll be fine. What I told her was, we have feelings too, you know? like We're allowed to have feelings too about this. This is a big thing for us too. And she was like, oh, I know, I know, or something. But I don't think that she actually took it on board. Well, right. What
2: a lot of people do with their adult children is they treat them as mediators, friends, confidants. Yeah. As opposed to, wait a minute, what is your experience of this? I don't know that anybody Mm -hmm. has actually asked you that.
4: No, I don't think so.
2: So, Nicole, we have some advice for you that we'd like you to try. And what we'd like you to do is we would like you to resign as the family therapist. Okay. Because that's not really your role. And here's how we'd like you to do that we'd like you to start with your sister. It sounds like the two of you are actually experiencing much of the same thing. And so instead of becoming her therapist, you can go to her and say, listen, I've been thinking about all of the things you've been coming to me with. And I realized that. I've been trying to talk you out of the way that you're feeling, but in fact, I feel exactly the same way. And maybe the two of us can be a support for each other as we talk about not how to save mom and dad's marriage, but how we're actually feeling about whatever they decide to do. And we haven't really had that. And I think it would bring us closer. And I think it would help us through this really difficult time in our family. And then ask her how she feels about that and see what happens between you. I have a feeling she's going to feel very relieved. Yeah. And you can tell her every time you come to me with a plan about how we can get mom and dad to do more to save their marriage, I'm not going to be on board with that because I think that it's not our role to decide what they should do in their marriage, but we can be together as the kids in the family. Right To talk about how we're feeling about what's going on in our family and all the different ways that this does impact us. And I'd like to be there to support how you're feeling. And I hope you can be there to support how I'm feeling.
4: Yeah, makes sense. And it sounds good. Like I can do it. That will
2: create a new dynamic for you and your sister to really be those people for each other and learn how to do that for each other.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I need
2: that. That's the resignation as it goes with your sister. As it goes with your mother, when you resign, (laughs) it's going to be a little trickier. (laughs) Yeah. You can say, mom, I know that you're going through a really hard time right now. And I know that sometimes you come to me because you need some support. But I want to let you know that this is a hard time for everybody in the family. And that one of the things that will help all of us through this is if we can feel like there's some stability in our family. And for our relationship, that stability is that you're still my mom and I'm still your daughter.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And in order for us to preserve that mother-daughter relationship and for it to be really strong, I can't be a part of what happens in your divorce, that that has to be between you and dad. And so I can support you in other ways. We can have our relationship. But once you start talking about what's going on with you and dad, I'm going to graciously decline continuing the conversation because I'm not qualified to help you with that. But a therapist would be, but it can't come to me because that will weaken our family and it will weaken the relationship that you and I have. Right, And maybe there will be room for you to hear how I feel about this, or maybe not. But I want us to have a relationship where I am the daughter and you work out what you need to work out with dad separate from me.
4: Yeah. I mean, it definitely makes sense. It's going to be hard. It's going to be
2: hard and it will need a lot of reinforcement. Because she will either withdraw in anger and say, well, you're not there for me. You're not supporting me. And she'll lash out in that way. And you have to be able to withstand that and stand your ground in a very loving way. I know this is hard. I know it's different. I really want you to find someone you can talk to about this. And then she may come back to you and, and try in different ways to kind of sneak it in the conversation. And every time she does that, you have to say, Mom, again, and you can joke with her, Mom, I want to resign as the therapist. Right. Right. And you keep using that as a catchphrase. I'm resigning as the family therapist. I can't do it because I need to take care of myself, too. And I want to preserve our
3: relationship. Yeah.
2: Okay. so those are the first two resignations.
3: Well, the next one is your dad. And the conversation with your dad should be a simpler version, perhaps, of the one with your mom, because the relationship is a little less complex. I think you need to lead with the fact that, you know, Dad, I've tried to be supportive to you and to Mom through this separation and divorce, but i would realized that when I do that, I don't pay attention to how I feel about it. And when I do start paying attention to how I feel about it, it turns out I have a lot of feelings about it. It turns out that I am sad about it, and so it's very important for me that I pay attention to how I feel. And I can't do that if I'm supporting you. It, it distracts me from it. And I want yeah. to be there for you, but as a daughter. And I can't be there for you as a divorce mediator. So I'm letting you know that because I want us to be able to chat and we can hang out and we can talk about anything but the divorce. Right. So that would be the messaging to him. The last person is your husband, because I'm going to tell you this, when you resign as the family therapist, it is going to feel like a big emotional brick has just been dropped on you. You're thinking it might be like relief, but it will be after. But at first, it's going to feel like a real loss, like you're betraying them, you're abandoning them, you'll feel guilty, you'll feel resentful, a swirl will come up.
2: And in addition, all of those feelings that you were distracting yourself from by being the family therapist are going to be much more accessible to you now.
3: Right. And therefore, you will need support. And so we would also like you to talk to your husband and let him know that this is coming and let him know that he might find you really emotional when you're having these conversations and that you could use his help and support. And so what you're going to ask him to do in those moments is I want to feel that if I'm very upset, I can come to you and tell you about how I'm feeling. And because I think because of his background, he might not know what to do with all those big feelings you're having. So i would give right. him a tip and i would say to him, and when you see me upset and when I'm talking about those things, really what I need from you most is just listen. And then when I'm finished, just put your arms around me, give me a hug. Let me know that you understand that I'm upset. Let me know that you get that this is very, very difficult and that you're there for me. You don't have to solve anything. You don't have to do anything. I don't want you to suggest a bath or something like that because I can think of that myself. What I want is your arms around me. And if you had any feelings about what it feels like for me to be upset and for you to Listen to it. I'm happy to hear them. If you can share them, that might be difficult for you, but if you have feelings about it, please do share them with me because I want us to be able to talk a little bit more about our feelings. We both need that practice. We both didn't do much of it growing up. Right. But it's important for us to do so we can model it for our kids so we can have that kind of emotional dialogue with our kids and we can practice with one another.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
3: So... Those are the things we'd like you to do. And start with your husband because we want him to be ready for the fallout from the others. So, so you want to start with him.
4: Right. Yeah, I agree. I think it, I know I need to do it. It's just going to be hard.
3: It is.
2: It will be hard in the short term as these things are, but it will make things so much easier in the long term. Yeah. Okay, well, let us know how it goes.
4: Thank you.
3: Nicole was really ripe for this. I really think she was at the place where she realized I need to start thinking about myself and my own feelings and not just cater to everyone else's. So I'm actually quite hopeful that this will be a change that is not just about her relationship with her parents, but her relationship with her emotions and her access to them all around.
2: Yeah. When people come to therapy, I'm always asking not just, why are you here, but why now? Why this month? this week, did you decide to call me? And I think that she wrote to us at the time that she was ready for change. I'm always assessing for readiness for change. And a lot of times people come in and they're wanting someone else to change. And I think what she's realizing is, wait a minute, I need to resign from this position. This is overwhelming for me. And so I'm very hopeful that this is going to open up all kinds of doors for her in terms of accessing her own feelings, getting her needs met in different ways and taking her out of that incredibly stressful situation that she's been in for a lot of her life.
3: Right. Really untenable. So I'm very hopeful for her and look forward to hearing what's going to happen. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. So Laurie, we heard back from Nicole, our Honorary Family Therapist. Let's hear how things went for her.
4: So I ripped the band-aid off as soon as I got done talking to you guys, pretty much. I talked to my husband right away and I'm not sure he was totally on board or knew what to think, but I feel like we definitely covered the part where I need more emotional support and he understood that. So next I called my sister and talked to her and she was completely supportive and agreed that I needed to step down as the family therapist. She was happy to have somebody there to support her feelings too as well and to understand that I felt the same way as she did. Next I talked to my mom because I knew that that was going to be the toughest conversation. It didn't go exactly as I thought it would go instead of her being angry, I felt like she was more annoyed, I would say, (laughs) is a good term. And she kind of just said, you can do whatever you need to do. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do for myself, which is not really what I thought either. After that happened, then my dad ended up calling me. And he said he was worried about me and was wondering what was going on. My mom had called him and he was very supportive. He's like, I totally understand. I know why you need to do this. I know why this is affecting you and how it's affecting you. And I'm proud of you and I will be there however you need me to be there. You just tell me what you need me to do. He said that I've been there for him a lot and that whatever I need, he'll be there for overall, I feel relieved in some respects. Other respects, I don't feel like, especially with my mom, that I know what to talk about in the last couple days. It's been a little more difficult that way without having the family therapist conversations. We'll see how it goes. I'm still feeling it out, I feel like. So what we're
2: seeing here is very common, where sometimes when we try to redefine our roles in the family, some people don't like it. And I think what's going on here is that her mom is not happy about losing her own personal family therapist. And she went so far as to call the father to say, something's wrong with Nicole. She's gone crazy. (laughs) She's not going to be my (laughs) therapist
3: anymore. (laughs) I, I agree. But you know what? Nicole is right. It's going to be tense for a while with her mom, because when all the conversations have been the family therapy stuff, yes, you're going to have to figure out what else you can talk about. Indeed, both of you will have to do that. And that's part of the deal. There's nothing wrong with that. It does take time to figure out what do we talk about. And hopefully, Nicole, you'll prevent your mom from dragging you back to therapy territory, as she will try to do.
2: And that will involve constant reminders because it sounds like she's not gonna let go of this very easily. But I think the positive thing here is that you will have a different kind of relationship with your mother ultimately that I think will be a much more fulfilling relationship for both of you and certainly take that pressure off of you. And I think that it went well with Nicole's sister. And I think her husband, when she says he didn't really know what to do with it, he won't know what to do with it yet. But this is again, a redefining And it will certainly help the communication in their marriage.
3: There is a learning curve. When you change a dynamic with someone, there is a learning curve in figuring out the new dynamic. Everyone gets to have one, her husband included.
2: And I thought that the dad's response was great. And I hope that that was very reassuring for Nicole, because I think that ultimately he's the one who gets it right now. And I think the others will eventually start to
3: get it too. Nicole, you might have some time on your hands now that you're not busy with all the family therapy, so hopefully you'll get to discover some new passion that keeps you happy.
2: Next week, a mother and daughter find it difficult to reconnect after the mother's years-long struggle with severe depression.
4: My body is so full of her triggers that even now at 35, I'll see something that I know she can't handle.
0: And... I will have a reaction to it. I think for a lot of my life, I deluded myself into thinking that my depression wasn't impacting you.
2: Hey, fellow travelers. If you're enjoying our podcast each week, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapist by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show.
3: If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big we'll or small, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com.
2: Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns, Josh Fisher, and Chris Childs. Our interns are Dorit Corwin and Silver Lifton. Special thanks to Allison Wright and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric.
3: We can't wait to see you at next week's session.
2: Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: more More info now.